For those who are visiting with us this morning, or if I never had a chance to meet you, my name's David. I'm part of the the team here at New Peninsula, Um, and we're going through the book of Ruth. Uh, If you're watching online and you're just joining in for the first time, uh, we're up to chapter 3 today, and it's my privilege um, to pick up on chapter 3. But this whole thing, Ruth is an amazing book, absolutely profound themes running all the way through this tiny little book uh, in the Old Testament, just four chapters. And it is absolutely profound. So I hope if you've got a Bible there, open it up because I'm not going to read all the way through chapter 3. There's just too much to talk about in there. I'm just going to pick up on one or two really key themes. But it's one of those things that this book is so rich. It's one of those things I encourage you to go back and read again and again. Because there's all sorts of things going on at the level of the surface, just the story itself. And then the more profound thing that's going on for Israel and um, the Israelite people, and then the you know the the eternal uh, program of God and why this book is in the scriptures for us today, all happening in this tiny little frame of four chapters. Alrighty, but before we get into it, I want to talk about something else just for a minute. Well, it's connected. I want to talk about home. Now, it's fascinating that Vinny said that those people who lost their homes were traumatized. There's something about home. That's more significant than just the material place. Yeah, I've been away for four weeks on holidays. Many of you wouldn't have known that. I was back in Queensland with my wife, Kathy. We were visiting family up there and spending a lot of time with my mum and dad and Kathy's mum because Kathy's dad passed away last year. So we wanted to have an extended time away this year. And it was great. We spent lots of good time hanging out, having fun, having coffees and meals and just relaxing and enjoying our family. But, you know, when I got home, there was that sense of, ah, so nice to be home, even though we're having a great time and all that thing. And then during the week when we got back, I was chatting to a few people, and Andrew, who's here this morning, Andrew and Leanne, um, they'd just come back from a long overseas trip. And and Andrew said the same thing. He says, oh, you know, seeing all these great sights of the world, but when you get home, there's nothing like home. There's something about that. And it's not just the material place, right? It's much bigger than that. It's about a place where you feel safe. It's about a place where you feel secure. It's about a place where you feel you belong. All your things and people are around you. All your favourite things. It's comfortable. There's a a certainty about it, a a familiarity about it that kind of makes it so you can, your body, your body's kind of um, neurological system can just relax. Ah, ah. I'm home, you know, and there's something profoundly important about that. And I want to kind of pick that up. I want you to kind of enter into that space, if you can, about the sense of being home and how good that feels. And just as a little aside, that's one of the things that's so terrible about homelessness. It's not just that people don't have a material shelter, but they don't have a place, a place where they can feel like they can relax. I'm home. I'm in my place. You know, even if you rent a house, you've got the material shelter, but there's still this sense of, ah, but anything could happen. And this might not be my house tomorrow or my home. I might get kicked out. In fact, when uh, Kathy and I were first married, we got moved on uh, four times by landlords um, to other places because they had other plans. Now, that's okay. That's their right to do that. But there's that sense of you don't have a home until you have that security, that place. And that's why it's so profound. 
and so important. Now, I want you to kind of enter into that and kind of feel that because look at this. Verse 1 of chapter 3 of Ruth. Absolutely profound. It's one of the really important themes going on in this book. Look at this, where it says, One day Ruth's mother-in-law Naomi said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now immediately the listeners, the first original listeners of this, immediately are engaging empathetically with the storyteller and with Ruth and Naomi here. Right? They're two vulnerable women in a world where they have almost no systemic or cultural or material power. Right? They are at the mercy of other people. They're relying on other people's goodwill. And this idea of finding a home, all the listeners who are hearing this for the first time are going, yes, yes, they've got to have a home. Now, in chapter 2, we've seen that they've been provided for materially. They've got food, and it doesn't tell us where they're staying, but they obviously have some sort of shelter because Ruth is coming back to Naomi somewhere, and they have plenty to eat in that sense. But there's something more important going on here about this idea of home and finding a place that is yours. Now, the second part of this where it says where you're well provided for, right? Now, most of us, when we first read something like that, immediately our minds go to something like this, all right? We got that? We're thinking of some fancy place on the hill at Mount Martha overlooking the water, you know, well provided for, materially well off, all right? That's what we're kind of, we've been culturally had that ingrained in us, that this idea of being well provided for is material. But that's not what is being said here in the book of Ruth. That's not what Naomi is getting at here. Right? There's a sense of that, but only the basics, only food and shelter uh, and protection and enough to kind of so that you're not going hungry. But the more important thing actually is this, and we pick it up in chapter 4 where it says this, Then Boaz said, The day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you are also buying Ruth, the Moabitess. Now, let me just, that might be better phrased if it had said, you are also acquiring, you are also taking responsibility for. All right? It's just a shorthand thing of buying here, just in case anyone gets hung up on, oh, isn't that terrible? They're buying some woman. All right? That's not what the Bible is saying. All right? They are acquiring. It's coming as part of the whole thing. But why? That's the important thing. Here it is, where it says, the Moabites, the widow of the dead, in order to restore the name of the dead to his inheritance. That's what well provided for is. It's a security. It's an inheritance. It becomes yours. It can't be taken from you. You are protected materially by the, the, the legal system within Judaism, if that's your inheritance, which means you now have some systemic and cultural power. Right? You have a place that belongs to you that can't be taken from you. And that's what, Ruth is, what Naomi is saying to Ruth here, that a home that is secure and can't be taken from you. It's an incredible thing, and it's an incredibly profound thing that's going on here. Not just for Ruth, but for all of us. Let's keep going. It's absolutely amazing. Now, how are they going to secure this inheritance? That's the next thing in this story. And let me just read it. Very, very interesting. Look at this, where it says, now this is Naomi speaking to Ruth. Now, Boaz with whom, whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed into your best clothes. 
then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go, uncover his feet, and lay down. He will tell you what to do. All righty. Now, let me ask all the mums and dads out here. <laughs> Who of you are thinking, yeah, what a great plan? <laughs> hey, anybody here who's got a daughter in their early 20s who's thinking, hey, that's a great advice to find a husband? Right? I'm sure all of you are going, oh, this is dodgy. Right? When I first read that, I'm thinking to myself, um, if we got that picture there, um, are we getting Let's see if we get that picture. There we go. Um, I'm thinking this is like this is high risk, isn't it? <laughs> this is like holding dice in your hand, hoping for sixes, but you roll them out, and what do you get? Snake size. <laughs> you know, the possibility is that for it to all go wrong. But actually, when we stop and think about what's going on here, that's me again reading into the text from my 21st century experience and what I know about the world and what I know about powerful men are in positions who can cover their actions with their power, all right? But that's not what's happening in this story. The original readers wouldn't have been thinking anything like that because what we're told right from the very start of this um, and what we're seeing is all the characters are people of righteousness. Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz, the main three characters of this story, are all people of righteousness. And the writer has gone to great lengths to weave that into the story in a brilliant way. Every time I think about this, I can see the fingerprints of the divine. I can see God's hand in this, right? There's a kind of threads that are going all the way through the book of these characters are righteous characters. So we get Naomi, even in the start of the chapter, where she says, I must find a home for you. Right? That's telling us something really significant there. The Hebrew is really adamant. It's a kind of imperative. I must do this. There isn't any alternative for me if I'm going to be a righteous person. And the writer's letting us know that by the way they've described this. Because the actual fact is, Ruth and Naomi doesn't have any actual responsibilities for Ruth. That would be on her family who are back in Moab. But Ruth is actually, Naomi is being described as the righteous woman who takes on the foreigner, who actually helps the outsider in this story. She's a woman of great righteousness and character. All right? So the writer's trying to let us know that. So this isn't some, you know, um, underhanded trick that Naomi's trying uh, trying to play here. It's actually an act of righteousness in this whole thing. And you learn that as we go. And then we get this from Naomi as well that she says, um, the women you've worked with, because Boaz is a relative of ours, right? And what the writer wants you to understand is, Naomi knows the law as another way of describing that she is a righteous woman. She is an exemplar of the Israelites and of a woman of faith. Now, why is that so important? And how do we know that that's what's going on? Well, right at the start of the book, It says this, and this is when the actual story is taking place. The events that are being described are taking place when? During the time of Judges, right at the start of the book it tells us that. Now, why is that significant? Well, you can see if you can read the rest there. From chapter 21, verse 25 of Judges, what does it tell us about Judges? And what do you know about Judges? It says there that in 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 those days in Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. 
Israel was a basket case. When you look through the book of Judges and you see how terribly the people behaved and how hideous the kind of things people were doing in that time, you suddenly realise these are exemplary characters during that period. These are people of righteousness. Now, the writer wants you to know that for a very important reason, which I'm going to get to in a minute. All right, so that's Naomi. Then what about Ruth, Boaz? Same thing again. Now, it's important that Boaz is seen as a righteous person. So right we get there, right at the start, we get him said, he is a man of standing. Now, that doesn't mean a man of importance and wealth in town. It actually means a man of righteousness. And we get that straight away because in verse 4 of chapter 2 there, we get this little picture where it says, Then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters and says, The Lord be with you. And then they respond by saying, The Lord bless you. All right? Now, why would a writer in a tiny little book of four chapters go to the trouble of telling us this little greeting? Surely that's wasted words. When you see the genius of the book and you see how, in, how many threads are going through it, why take up just two verses to let us know that? Because a writer wants you to know that Boaz is the model Israelite. In a time where everyone is losing their heads and doing whatever they want, Boaz is a man of God. And he is following the law. And he greets his people by saying, the Lord be with you. This idea that God is with us and God is amongst us and God is the one who we should be following. So it's important that you know that. And the writer is letting us know that. And then we get these things as well. We know more than just he's a righteous man. He's protective of Ruth. So we get there in chapter 2 where it says, I've told told the men not to lay a hand on you. So there's a sense here. She's a Moabitess. The the book goes to a lot of trouble to let you know that. It says it repeatedly. So culturally, in that sense, people would be thinking, oh, well, she's a nobody. If she gets um, abused, then who cares? She's just an outsider. But the writer wants you to know that it matters and it's important by saying Boaz is going to protect her. And then we get this at the end, uh, sorry, in verse 12, where it says, um, may you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wing you have come to take refuge. Now, that tells us everything, right? That tells us that Naomi's plan is not high risk because Boaz is a man of God and he would never, never harm Ruth when he knows she's under God's protection. Isn't that beautiful? Under the protection of God, you are protected against all these things that could go wrong in this story. I know it's more complex than that, all right? And then we get, obviously, Ruth is seen as a woman of great character as well. And we get the famous thing from chapter 1, which I haven't got here, but chapter 1, you should all remember this now, where she says, where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. That tells us right from the start, she is becoming an Israelite. She is leaving her Moabite history, her family, her culture behind, and she is now becoming an Israelite, and that's important to this story. And then she goes and she does all the right things. She does exactly what her mother-in-law tells her. She doesn't just say it in words. She goes and does it in deed. She says to Boaz, you know, put your blanket over me, which is a marriage proposal. Now, how are we going? No, I haven't got time. All right? There's a whole lot of good reasons why it happens like that. Come and talk to me later about that. But the important thing here is it is showing that Ruth is also a woman of godliness, the model Israelite woman in that sense. She, in this story, is a little bit like the, um, uh, the Samaritan in Jesus' story. 
the least likely person you would expect becomes the hero of the story who acts in a way that we all should act. Anyway, there we get this thing here. So um, Boaz says to her, this, greater, this kindness you've shown me is greater than that which you've shown Naomi. He says, you could have run after the other younger men, or richer or poorer, but you haven't. You've actually come to me. And then he says there, the bit that's highlighted, all the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. That's a kind of summary statement. Ruth is the ideal woman in this picture here, the ideal Israelite woman. Um, Now, why is that all so important? Why am I telling you all these things about it? I mean, does it really matter to us here in the 21st century? Yeah, it does. It matters a lot, all right? Because Ruth and Boaz become who? The great-grandparents of King David, right? And now why does it matter what his family line is? Because it matters for his legitimacy as the king. Now, one of his political... Oh, now, I need to tell you this as well, all right? So we've got the stories written about a couple in the time of Judges, but this book was written in the time probably most likely between when David was um, anointed as king and when he was established as king. And when he is on the run from Saul and he has all sorts of political uh, and military enemies who are after him and cultural enemies as well. Remember, Saul is from the family of, or the tribe of Benjamin. David's from the tribe of Judah. So all the people from the tribe of Benjamin don't want David to be king because it means they're going to lose their place of status as the tribe who has the king. So they're against David. Now, why why does it matter then? Because if David's grandmother great-grandmother is a Moabitess, then that means his kingship is actually under some sort of doubt. Is he really the right person? Has um, Samuel made the right choice here? And people are out to get him and they're out to dethrone him or at least uh, not make sure he doesn't become the king. And so the book is actually partly an apology for David and his legitimacy of being the king. So all his family are all people of righteousness. They're all the right type of people for David to be a legitimate king. Yeah? You get that? Now, why is that so important? You're all asking yourself. That still doesn't make any sense to me, right? Because it ties back to the Abrahamic covenant. David then picks up from the Abrahamic covenant that he then is the one that is going to be the eternal king. And why does that matter? Where does Jesus come from? The line of David. The legitimacy and the continuity of the kingship and the kingdom of God goes all the way back to Abraham. And who is connecting all this? Ruth. Why are we getting told all this? Because this little... ...divide this all the way through. Now... You're probably saying to yourself, oh, well, who cares? Jesus was the king, and I I believe that, and that's all good and very dandy, and so I don't really care. Well, there's something even more important going on here, right? Like I said, this book is brilliant. There's so many threads and themes going through here. And this is where I started, and this is where I want to kind of come and land this, right? When Naomi says to Ruth, I must find you a home, There's something profoundly and deeply human going on here, right? That actually connects us. That's relevant to us here today. This goes all the way back to Genesis. What happens in Genesis? 
God takes Adam and Eve and does what? Gives them a garden, a place, their home where he is with them, where they can be secure, knowing God is there with them. Right, now they mess it up, fair enough. Right? But they had that place. It was given to them. And then this little thing, this little book reaches back to the Abrahamic covenant because what it goes to a lot of trouble to let you know that Ruth is a Moabitess. And it goes back to the Abrahamic covenant where it says, I will make you a blessing to all the nations, including the Moabites. And the Moabites here, Ruth is being given an, a what? An inheritance, a permanent place in the kingdom, in, within the people of God. And so there you go, right back there, God is fulfilling his promise to Abraham. You will be a blessing to all the nations. Now, why is that important to us? Because what does Jesus say? What happens when Jesus comes? He says, he proclaims the good news, and he says, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe. What is Jesus offering people? What is Jesus offering not only all the Jews, but all the nations, he's offering them a home, a place to belong, a people that, he can, that they can belong to, an eternal home. All you need to do is repent and believe. What did Ruth do? She repented from being a Moabite in that sense. She turned away from it and she became an Israel. She joined him with the people of God. That's what Jesus is offering. Isn't that just amazing? You and I, outsiders to Israel and the, the promise to Abraham and to David, are now being invited in by Jesus to take hold of what? Our inheritance, our place, something that can't be taken from us, something that is secure. What does it say in Ephesians? Look at this. This is, a, this is amazing stuff, right? Where it says, um, from verse 13, where it says, you uh, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him and sealed the, with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. It can't be taken from us. Jesus has ensured that. We all have this eternal place where we can belong. Now, that is profound. Because it's deeply uh, meets deep our, our deep human human needs to find a place where we belong. Now, if you want to look at what's going on in the world today, and the polarization that's going on in the world today, and the fragmentation and and the conflict of people groups who are now uh, warring against each other in the Western world, where these which are essentially tribes. Now, why has that become so important to fight for your tribe? that's the place you belong. That's the place where you feel like you belong. That's the place you want to belong because it meets a deep human need. Now, the problem with that, obviously, when tribes are all fighting for their own um, place and their own belonging is you just end up with conflict. But what is Jesus inviting us into? A kingdom that we can all belong to, all peoples. Why is he called the, the Prince of Peace? Because he provides a solution to all these things so that we can find peace and rest. It's profound, absolutely profound. And God is offering it to you and to me and to all peoples. 
Everybody is invited in to join in this kingdom. That's something we should celebrate. And in fact, that's where I want to finish with this. Why is this so important to us? What can you do about this rather than just hearing this great message? Right? Well, the first thing is if you already know you have a place, if you already know that you belong in the kingdom, then celebrate that. It's a profound thing that you've been given by God. It's not trivial. It's not a religion or something religious. It actually meets your profound need to have a home, a place that is secure. And God knows that, and he's providing that for you. It's absolutely amazing. Right? Don't take it for granted. Celebrate that. Rejoice in that. That sense of, wow, I have this. It's mine. And I can rejoice in that. Now, there might be others of us here who may be feeling a little bit like, I don't really know if I belong. I don't really know if I have a place in the kingdom. You know, if you knew me and you knew how much of a failure I was, then you'd probably question whether I belong as well. I want to say to you this morning, Jesus has guaranteed your place. It's not whether or not you are good enough. It's whether or not he is good enough. And he is. And he's guaranteed your inheritance. You've been given the Holy Spirit as a seal. It can't be taken away from you. It is yours. Hang on to that. Hang on to that hope. If you rejoice in Ruth finding a home, rejoice in the fact that you have a home and that you are secure in that. Now, there might be another group of people here this morning who actually don't know. They don't know if they want to belong. They're kind of still trying to work that out. They're trying to work out, will I go back to Moab, go back to my old ways, or will I join in with the people of God? And I want to encourage you this morning, if you will come and join in with the king, if you will come and join in with the people of God, you will have an inheritance that can never be taken away from you. You will have a place where you belong. And you will know that in your heart and your soul. You know, every time I travel, when I went back to Queensland, when I, um, I haven't travelled overseas, but whenever I've gone other places, whenever I go and join in with the church somewhere, you know what? I feel like I belong. Why? Because it's the people of God and I actually have inherited a place here. I am a child along with all the rest of us of God. And you always belong when you actually join in with the people of God, no matter where you go in the world. Uh, And I've heard lots of other people tell me that as well. They've been in foreign countries where they can't even speak the language and they've gone to church and they say, it was amazing. I just felt like I was at home with everybody. It's a profound thing that God has given us. Let's not actually ignore it. Let's take hold of it if you feel a bit insecure and let's rejoice in it if you actually know. Can I encourage you with those things? And I better finish up there. It's quarter two. All right. Let me pray. Father God, I want to thank you again for this amazing, amazing little book. And what the profound depth that's here. Father, speak to our souls. Holy Spirit, reveal the truth of this deep, deep into our souls, that we might find our rest in you, our place in you, our security in you, and know that we belong. What a beautiful thing that is. Amen.